0: This episode of the Round Six Podcast is brought to you by Trailer Tug, the world's strongest trailer dolly. Learn more at trailertug.com. It's the Round Six Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories. Hosted by the Round Six Gearheads Brian Stubsky, Alex Welsh, And Brad King. Here on episode 64, it's a virtual renaissance with a guy who can do it all, the legendary, the one, the only, Bob Thrash. Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex.
1: And I'm Bob Thresh. All right.
0: Hey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. Wait a minute. How many, how many guys are there? <laughs> Just
0: three guys, one mic. Oh, okay. A, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's about that sexy. Oh, my God. We are, uh, we're, for those of you listening out there, we are, we are honored tonight. Um, you know, uh, when I was in high school, one of the one of the main points of our mission there was to have us go out and become these renaissance men you know be the kind of guy who goes out and does everything and uh, dude tonight man we we've got with us Bob Thrash who literally man he is the true renaissance man is there anything you can't do bob
1: <laughs> I uh, I really suck at math I tell people that all the time it's like <laughs> and it's like it's, it's for 90% of what I do it requires math and it's like I got to double check what I do a thousand times because I, I just question myself so much but I mean really the the main thing was the only reason that uh, that you're kind of forced to do to learn everything is because that's the only way we could ever get anything done is like we just kind of had to figure it out you know um, so I think just being a car guy in general, you want to, you want to be able to do a little bit of everything. And even like, I love the guys that do interior stuff. I'm amazed by that, you know? So I, I would study the way that Jim Griffin and like Tracy Weaver and Joe Maddox and the work that they do, you know, and to be able to work with guys like that and understand, you know, exactly how they go about doing what they do. And it's like, I am by no means an interior guy, but the more you can understand what they need the better the better you can design something for them and not not feel like you're stepping on their toes or not feel like you're relying on them to make the design look better you know for just from strictly a design point you know it's still turning out the way you want but you know just being in the car industry right now there's awful lot of young guys and it's like i'm definitely not that guy it's like i'm 61 years old you know i've been doing this stuff for a long time um and I first first got my, you know, foot in the door per se. Um I was you know, just building building my own cars, just you know, very cheap stuff because every job I had when I was younger was basically a minimum wage job. I wasn't I wasn't like a union guy. I wasn't a doctor, a lawyer, nothing like that. You know, I'm just you know, just getting by doing what I know how to do. But going to the car shows, the first time I went to Street Machine Nationals was in nineteen seventy-nine. And uh, if there was, you know, one pivotal moment in my life that was doing that, I mean, you know, hard to believe going to a car show. But we happened to stay at the same hotel as Scott Sullivan, and he had his 79, or in 79, he had his 67 over there. And uh, you know how how just amazingly, that that's the first time I ever saw any car done to that level by a guy who literally, built cars out of a two-car garage at home, you know? Yeah, and uh, exactly. I mean, if, if anybody that knows Scott Sullivan, it's like, he's just a god, you know? <laughs> just an absolute yeah, god Yeah, in and a world, character, you know? man. <laughs> yeah, and, it, it just, and just a great, it's like, he's one of the funniest guys, the most down to earth guys you would ever meet, you know? And uh, he literally did it out of a, a two-car garage, you know? And then that just, that was just our thing. Every year we would go, the street machine nationals and that would be our vacation you know after doing that for several years in a row we would always meet scott and see what new stuff that he would bring there and that and i see i could always i could always draw i mean i always like drawing cars and it's like i think the goal was always to build cars but because when you're a kid you don't know how to build cars it's like but i was i was amazed by artwork from a very young age you know so i would I would draw and and I I would go to the grocery store and get cartoons magazine and, and study it. I mean, exactly how did they create this angle? How did they, you know, how did, what, what techniques did they use to draw? And it's like, so I could, I could always draw, you know, just kind of crazy car stuff, you know, and it, it, it probably wasn't it probably wasn't like till five years after I I had met Scott that he realized that I could draw. And well, Scott's an amazing airbrush guy, but he always liked to see what I could draw. And then he would talk to me about, you know, sketching up uh, different ideas that he had. And then we just started working together on a few cars, like the graphics, you know, just fortunate enough to meet Scott and then start learning how to the the kind of materials he uses and and he is so unconventional it's like I've seen him use squirt guns with paint in them to,
2: to <laughs> not, he literally would he would it's like,
1: like you can't do that and it's like uh, it's just amazing the the that just you know, that, that's when you start to realize that that anything is possible you know there is no there is no guidelines there is no limitations it's like it's whatever you can do to create an effect that's what you can do you know and uh, so i started getting into more of the the graphic side of it and uh you know i i worked with scott on probably like five or six cars you know one of the the most memorable cars is i'm sure you've seen it it's the bones camaro uh todd clark's car Heck yeah. um yeah not you know not a high dollar car by any means but that car to me is one of the most you know the most recognizable pro street cars of that era you know of that time, you know. I think it was 88. We were at the Street Machine Nationals and uh I I it wasn't long after that. I think within the next year I had left. I was I was living in Des Moines, Iowa at the time, and the guy I was working for sold his company, and so I was basically out of a job because I didn't want to stay there and work for somebody else. So I moved I'm from the Chicago area originally anyway, so I moved back to the Chicago area. And at the time I had a an 83 Buick Regal that I put a tune port motor in and had drop spindles on it and IROC wheels, just all the, the stuff that guys were doing to cars at that time, you know? So I moved back to the the Chicago area and I just started, you know, hanging out with the the, the guys that I grew up with when I was in high school. I was, I was just doing like pinstriping cars for like $25 and stuff like that. You know, I mean, just, just as something to do because I didn't have a job, you know, and I wasn't about, you know, I was like, I'm not, I'm gonna do something with artwork. I'm not gonna do anything with, with just uh, you know doing a nine-to-five thing. And and amazingly enough, I just happened to be going through Mantino, and I stopped in at Jack's Automotive, which is Troy Troy's dad's shop. And and Troy was an alignment technician for his dad at the time. And uh, I did some business cards for him, and I saw that that uh, he was building his own cars and stuff like that. Like I think his Chevelle might have been there at the time, you know. And, uh, I think at the same time he was, he was building that his 60 Impala. Well, it turns out that Scott Sullivan had to do graphics on a pickup truck for John Spritzer, this 56 Chevy pickup that was at the body shop that Troy was using to paint his 60 Chevy. So it was kind of one of them things where I, I had a graphic job to do with Scott. And then I, I that's how I met Jeff St. Alvin. The painter on he did he was the painter on some of troy's early cars and uh and troy and at the time i was i think i was 32 and troy was 22 or 21 at the time and uh so his 60 chevy um he had finished himself but right after that you know him and i just started working more and more together after he he learned that i knew a little bit more about you know car construction than he did um and uh, the first car that we worked on together was the the 50 Buick, uh, and that was the first full chassis car that we did. And uh, at that time, uh, his on the property there at Jack's Automotive, his grandpa's house was there, and there was a one-car garage there that had a quarter-inch-thick steel floor in it because his grandpa was like a welder. Uh, and and uh the, believe it or not quarter we quarter
2: inch thick we, steel yeah
1: a quarter inch thick steel plate floor in this you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a one it was a one car garage and uh i remember i remember putting that that uh, 50 buick you know with just a body shell and i you know it was one of the things where i had explained to troy it's like well the way we got to go about this is basically you build a frame table you get the body shell you know cut all the sheet metal out of the floor and all that um Mount the body shell on the frame table at right height, and then you build the chassis. And that was the first, you know, two by three rectangular uh, chassis that that we had built together. And in a one-car garage, <laughs> it had some pretty unique rear suspension. It was kind of done like Cadzilla, uh, where it ha- actually had electric actuators working a bell crank on the upper coilovers and the you know the upper coilover mounts so that you could raise and lower the back of the car like three inches and stuff like that. But you know, it was your typical early nineties Pro Street, you know, pastel, um tweed interior, you know, pro street car, you know. Um, and that car had a five ten, I believe it was a five ten offshore uh big block Chevy, you know, in it. And uh so that car I think that car in 92 that car won the hot rod of the year at the the you know at the uh, Canfield Hot Rod Nationals and all that stuff. So it just kind of snowballed from there and the magazines that you know as much as I knew Troy in that the magazines really liked Troy. I mean, you probably noticed that as like oh, yeah. when it was in the beginning yeah in the beginning because they were really were they were they were really promoting the fact that He's this young kid that is his family's really supporting him on this stuff and, and they really did it's like his his father really really was behind him 100 and you know and it's like when i was growing up my parents were like uh you'll never make any money building hot rods you know <laughs> or you'll never make any money drawing cars you know it's like if that's what makes you happy you go right ahead but with troy's family it really wasn't that way so it was it was it was beneficial for everybody involved that that's the way that it happened you know um and i think after the like after the buick um the, the i think the first one we did after that was a that rambler uh the the
2: well hey bob let me be back for a second here when you did that buick how long how long was that how long of a project was that that was a crazy it, car
1: actually no it was like a year and a half because i because really i'm trying to think because the the yeah the uh the 60 was finished in 1990. And then we started on that Buick right after that. So um, it was done by, like, like I said, 92, the Buick won hot rod of the year at, you know, in the in the spring of that year. So.
2: So it um, was, I guess it wasn't yeah. a real long drawn out building. No, and it,
1: you know, that's, you know, we, at, back then we weren't doing a lot of, you know, it was basically a hand-built chassis, completely stock body proportions. You know, we didn't cut nothing up because we didn't, we weren't, you know we weren't proficient in that yet we 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 couldn't we just basically took every single bit of the way a stock 50 buick was and just just put it on a chassis you know but the, the body shop made everything look nice and everything but we didn't change anything you know um i think so, the
2: biggest thing we so you kept thing, it you just kept it simple then you didn't yeah, you didn't make like, really, like stuff yeah, now I just, so over the top right. crazy Right. Okay. And, oh. and
1: even then, even then, Dan, you know, Dan Houlihan, who has, you know, Houlihan Hot Rod Shop in Mooresville, North Carolina, yeah. um, he's from Mancino also. And uh, he actually was the guy who did, like, the, the, like, he's the guy that we learned how to build your floor and wheel tubs and inner fenders. And even on that car, all the sheet metal was really basic. It's basically flat panels that were bead rolled and that, but nothing. You know, nothing that you really had to like shrink and stretch and form what I you consider a real metal shaping, you know. Everything was just really basic, you know, but the car had a really good look to it for that time, you know. That that's what that's just what guys were doing, you know. Well what's crazy
0: um, is you, you mentioned okay, you mentioned Dan Hell, you got uh-huh. Dan, you got you. That whole
1: shop bred so many
0: <laughs> like talented yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. people. <laughs> oh yeah. When you when you, like I met all them guys when they were really young and you know they they were enthusiasts and they had a certain amount of talent but they were by no means proficient at what they could do and it was it, it wasn't until they were in that environment i can't I can't stress this enough about what the good things were about um, being at 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 Troy shop is just the fact that that place nurtured creativity like you can't believe and it gave you the opportunity to to explore like the possible, like because Troy always, I've never been around anybody that wanted something as perfect as what he wanted. You know, um, most shops, like even in the paintwork, it's like he he would want Troy would want the the damn door hinges wet sanded and buffed. It's that kind of attention to detail, you know. And you know, and I, I by no means get that carried away now on on certain things it's like you learn you know what's important and but it it's when you when you when you're at a stage when you learn that that's the way it needed to be everything after that is so much simpler it's like uh, it it really was but i mean getting back to the guys like like uh you know Jared Zimmerman that has you know that car show um um <laughs> Levi Green um uh just the the painters um that Tyler Krause and, um, and Adam Krause, yeah, right, yeah. those guys, those guys literally came to Mantino right out of, um, right out of school. And they didn't know that much, but they were really enthusiastic, you know, and it's just from their experience being at a place where they could really, they could really blossom. It, it just made a huge difference. So it's like, if I could tell that to anybody, it's like, you know what, don't, don't be, don't settle for some shop that is only going to let you do what the customer wants. And, and, um, uh, just, you got to stick it out and try to find a place where, where they'll let you be creative and, and they'll pay you to learn. And it's like, uh, we all got paid to learn, you know? And it's like, believe me, we didn't know, we didn't know me and Troy, it's like, we, everything we learned was from trial and error, you know? And, um, uh, it wasn't, it was, I mean, and working with, like I said, working with guys that are better than you, it's like, that's one of the, the biggest things is like, like Dan Houlihan and Bobby Walden and Jim Griffin and, and uh, Tracy Weaver. And it's like any, anybody who's at a a, a way higher level than, than where you're at in, in in their field of expertise. It's like, man, it was just, it was an amazing place to learn. It really was, you know?
0: I got to say, I kind of, I got brought into that fold kind of on the sideline, uh, getting to do renderings and work on some design stuff with Troy. And it was funny because I went into that thinking I knew a little bit and it was great because you walk in there and you realize you really don't know a whole hell of a lot and there's so much more to learn. So you kind of abandon everything and just kind of fall into the culture there. And it was really cool because you don't realize, you know, at the time I was a young punk but I yeah. walked out of that and I looked back and I go, man, I learned more during my projects yeah. with, you know, you guys and your team than I think anything else I could have ever learned at a school or anything else.
3: Yeah, and exactly. Exactly. It was a yeah.
0: blast. And, it was, and I think that's, it's a good word to use. There's like, there was definitely a Rad Rides culture and it yeah. was just super creative and it was, and yeah. you always got pushed when you thought you came up with the coolest yeah. idea on the planet. <laughs> Five guys would look at it and go, what if we did this? And then suddenly you're going, yep. okay, then what if we do this and this and this? Yep. Man.
1: But everything it, it, they were it, putting up back
3: then, they were just cranking home runs. I mean, everything oh, yeah. they were putting out was just awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. It's great. You know, it really was, it really was a good time. It's like, I'll, I don't regret a minute of that, you know. And it's like, there was definitely like with anything, you know, there's definitely times you butt heads with people, but Troy, see, Troy and Jack were always the ones that had to deal with the customer because to me, in the end, we always got, we always got to do it our way. And somebody had to be the one to deal with the customer <laughs> to convince them that the way that I wanted to do it was the way it needed to be. And I, I see, I didn't, I don't really have much tolerance for that. It's like, I don't, I'm not really good at, at trying to, uh, trying to sweet talk the uh customer into uh painting his car some weird color that nobody in the planet would ever let you do it that way. But then when it's done, it looks amazing. And it's like Troy and Jack were always the ones that had to and, and so they were always good at it. It's like they were always good at, at uh even you know we we got to we get we got to make the decisions on virtually every single thing from the wheel design to the tire size to the what motor needed to be in it, what color and finishes and you know, that's one thing we were really exploring a lot on the in the early years was all the different types of finishes and and, you know, yeah. a lot of guys weren't just they weren't really experimenting that way, you know, and, and even if even if it was a fail, it was still Okay, well now we know that now we know that that doesn't work or you know that's not a good idea. But. Yeah, you guys were like
3: the first to really start doing a lot of matte finish stuff under the hood, yeah, which I, mean, I thought was really places, cutting edge.
1: Right, right. That's the way I I just I really like the look of matte and shiny together. You know, like if you look at the Blowfish, you know that from from a distance you can't tell that car is matte and glossy, but when you get up on it, you really appreciate that part of it. You know, so. I mean, I I love that kind of stuff or even on on suspension parts and, you know, trying to convince a customer they think they want all the the arms chrome. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. no." (laughs) So it's hard to cut, you know, they think because, you know, they're they're paying big money for like a billet control arm. It needs to be chrome. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It's like it needs to we got to make it go away. It's like, but but. But, I'm like,
3: well, that's an interesting <laughs> topic. What, what methods do you use to convince the customer that, hey, consider this instead?
1: Yeah, it, it's hard. Like I said, I, usually like a, in, in in the instance of Troy's, there was no I, – I wasn't the guy that had to convince him of that. I just had to convince Troy of that. And pretty much, if I told Troy we had to cut the roof off a car, he wouldn't even – just like, okay, well, let's cut the roof off the car. But <laughs> But, I mean, he would never Paperfuls. question – I mean, I literally, I could get away. I was like, I was like the youngest child in a family. It's like, I could get away with murder. It's like, no matter what. <laughs> I said. And it didn't always go over well. It didn't always go over well with, because, you know, at, at times there was a time when I think there was like 16 employees at Troy's, you know? Um, and when I started there, it was just me and Troy, you know? So it didn't always go over well with all the other guys that, that no matter what i said i got my way it's like if i told them and and you know that's the way it got to be probably you know towards the end of of what you know as i got um just involved in a lot of other things is like i would only i'd have to go in there in the morning because you know like i said i had my own shop down the road i i would go in there in the morning kind of go over design ideas with you know they would have like four or five cars going on so i would have to talk with each guy because at the time it, which it, I think it worked out really well. Where basically a, one guy would would be have his own project to work on until it's done, you know. And it's like I think people you don't realize how important that is to the guy working on it because it, they feel like it's their baby. Then you know, when you when you when you're having people bounce around from one project to the next just to bill hours, they don't feel attached to that project, you know. So. I, I would have to work with each of those guys on the project that they were doing. So, you know, they definitely had an opinion about stuff, but I would definitely I would just try to get them lined out on like, say a dashboard design or like what the hood needed to be shaped like, or what the roll pan needed to be shaped like, or, or something. And I'd, I'd give them some leeway in that, but basically in the end, you know, you still want it to look the way that you want it to look. And then I would just have to check back in maybe, around noon or something like that to see how they were going. And then again, at the end of the day, so I would really only have to stop in there, you know, two or three times a day and just kind of go over things with people. And, you know, those guys, they would definitely have their own opinions. And a lot of it was just from, you know, working with them over the years, they understood the direction that you're trying to lead them into. And so they understood it. There weren't very many guys that, that you really butted heads with, or they really, had a problem with what you were telling them you know so that was my role there basically as it you know after i was there a few years is that i would just have to go in there and just say well this needs to kind of look like that that needs to go like this and you know we would talk about colors and stuff like that me and troy and that and and, you know me and troy really had really similar tastes as far as what what we understood of what was cool you know And, and one of the things troy was really he was more of a 60s car guy or you know because that's the era he he grew up you know he he really probably grew up more like in a, in the when cars of the 80s and the 70s were cool so he didn't really understand street rod stuff or what is correct for a street rod too much you know so when it came to doing Roger Ritzau's 32 Troy was he was he was very little he because he he wanted a really traditional flathead powered car and Troy was so bored with it he's like well I don't know I don't I don't even know where to start on that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he just he basically just said, just for me to work with Levi and just lead him in the direction that it needed to go in. And I just had certain things that I wanted. You know, it's like it, that car is still very traditional, but it had a lot of really subtle things done to it that made a big difference. I mean, that, that car was voted one of the top 75, 32 Fords of all time yeah. by yeah. Ford Motor Company. So it's like, I'm very, very proud of that car um because the 32 guys got it you know and uh one thing i remember is george Potet coming in one day to check you know to to look on progress on on something troy was working on for him and he saw the 32 there and uh troy immediately told me he's like i got nothing to do with this he said that's all bob and that's all bob and levi green and levi was the one doing all the the fab work on it i was just kind of you know throwing my two cents in on what it needed to, to look like in that so uh, poteet poteet looked at me he's like what the hell do you know about a traditional car and i was like well i guess i know enough but but uh, he really I, I mean it was more impressive that that uh that george liked it than i think anything else and i remember when the car was done, george george offered him some astronomical amount like a half million dollars for that car and and uh we didn't have anywhere near that in it, but that's how much George liked it. And, uh, Roger never sold it. And it's like, that's a, you know, what kind of compliment that is that Roger liked that car that much, that he wouldn't sell it. <laughs> <That's> beautiful. <laughs> like, how cool is that? I mean, there's little things like that, that mean way more to me than, than, you know, any amount of hourly wage that you get, you know how it is. I mean, it's just, it, it's more gratifying just to see what somebody else thinks of what you did you know it's just, yeah, just i, th- I think shoot.
0: that's that's kind of the name of this whole industry though it's, it's that dig yeah. me thing you know yeah. you're not you're not out for the ego stroke but when it does come along you savor it yeah. because it's so rare
1: yeah i mean i i think you always question what you're doing is it good enough you know is somebody that you respect going to like it as much as you do and then when something like that happens it's like man it makes you feel good it's like I was trying to think of what else after, you know, like I said, it, you know, I was around Troy's up until about 2018, I got in, or, yeah, or 2000, let me think, because it was right after we did the Riddler, it was 2008, um, um, after we did the Riddler car, and I started doing a lot more stuff for Ring Brothers, and then uh, I ended up working with those guys for quite a while, because I really like, they really liked the, the like, the muscle car style graphic stuff I was doing on the hoods, and, and you know that kind of thing and well, they that's had a the need
0: thing. I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off I'm sorry I was going to say it, to me that was a really important thing to to touch on their style was almost like the natural move for you to go to because I mean yeah. you went from like a Sullivan thing and there's definitely a lot of Sullivan's influence in Troy's work so oh, you yeah. took it you kind of took it to the next level there then yeah. you end up over at the Rings where yeah those guys are like really heavy it was almost futuristic the stuff they were yeah. doing
1: it was you know in it, you know in their early years they were they they which I can appreciate the fact that they they liked doing the billet stuff but like there was definitely a transition of what they're doing now is so much more refined and it, you know it's with anybody else it's like the the first cars they were doing they liked doing the in your face blocky billet you know just really aggressive styling and now they're they're incorporating more um tasteful um, it's still it's still aggressive, and, and you can still tell it's a Ring Brothers thing, but it's not as aggressive as it was in the very beginning. And and I like to think that I I toned them down a little bit, but, <laughs>
0: yeah. but uh, you definitely did. But,
1: uh, There's
0: a lot of your got, influence you know, in there. Don't don't yeah, sell yourself not, short. There's a ton of yeah, your influence in there. I'm glad,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was able to help out in that in that way because I think it's all for the better of the cars. You know, it's like the, one of the first cars that I got to work on that I was really proud of is that Razor Camaro. That was a two-tone, uh, a two-tone '69 Camaro that had like a hockey stick stripe down the side. Um, and that and was had, a game changer a random... of a car, too. Yeah, and and uh, and it it was just really super tasteful car. Still looked like a '69 Camaro. It had just the right amount of body mods and stuff like that. You know, it just I thought it was really really tasteful. Um, And then after that was a, that, uh, the afterburner Fairlane that, uh, it was just a red 64 Fairlane that had a Roush motor in it and that, but, um, it was basically all red, but had like these hood ducts that vented the radiator heat out the hood. And I mean, it was a very muscle car like style, uh, paint scheme and all that. So I really liked that car a lot. Um, and uh there was another like this uh one of the car one of the main cars i was doing metal work on there was a uh 70 mustang that they had ended up calling it dragon i think it was and it was a a dark red 70 mustang um with quite a bit they ended up making like front and rear uh what you call it like uh like a kit that you could bolt onto your stock 70 mustang to make it into that dragon style you know so i had to create all that stuff out of steel and then they copied it in carbon fiber and i think they still market it to this day and so i was and one of the things that i always liked that we never got into at troy as much was like marketing parts of your own design and that and that's the nice thing about ring brothers is we talked about like the door handles you know i was involved in designing some of the door handle stuff that they were doing and just different, like I said, like the dragon uh, sheet metal parts that they ended up making in carbon and marketing that way, you know. So um, it's nice to to design stuff like that and and uh, actually have it mass produced and know that people can go out and buy it, you know. But and I've always been into wheels. I mean, I think I mean wheels are are like one of them one of them things that wheel they can go in any direction whatsoever you know and uh it's hard to come up with a wheel it's like how do you how do you ever design a wheel that's ex- as successful as uh like a, a american torque thrust you know it's yeah. like <laughs> yeah how do you you compete with, i mean how do you compete with making no matter what you come up with how do you come up with an idea that that is going to be as successful and i've had a wheel manufacturer ask me that they wanted me to it's like, hey, I want you to design the next, you know, car, uh, next wheel that's going to be as popular as the American Torque Thrust or, you know, the Krager SS. And I'm like, wow, why don't you pay me like ten million dollars? And that's, that, it's like, that's, it's like they wanted me to to guarantee it. I'm like, I, how can I guarantee it? I can't. How do you know, you know, people how are do you know, it's, you don't
0: know next year it might be monoblocks yeah. or something like that. You, you don't know where I people mean, are going to go. Years
1: ago, years ago, there was like three wheel designs. Now there's like three million wheel designs, you know, but one of the cool things is seeing like, uh, that I, I, that I definitely will always try to take credit for is nobody was doing a spiky directional wheel until I did the, until I did the, uh, uh, switchblade for Budnick. And that was just a wheel that it was, it was basically based on a wheel that Budnick was already doing. I think it was the Tusk. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just added some these little spike things in there and uh, it just outsold the Tusk by fucking 10 bazillion. But I mean, it was great. <laughs> and every, every, every Japanese wheel manufacturer was copying it. And I'm like, yep. man, if I would have got a nickel for each wheel, it's like, it's one of them things that I just, I drew it up for the uh, the Rambler, I think it was, and uh, we ended up putting them on the Rambler until, um, that's another good story, is uh, we had them on the Rambler. If you look at the early pictures of the Rambler, it has the, uh, the switchblades on it, and then in other pictures, it's got these Boyd wheels on it, and uh, the way that happened was Boyd was at a car show, and we were doing a lot of stuff with Boyd at the time, and he was offended that we had Budniks on the Rambler, so he's like, I'm gonna send you some wheels. So Troy had to put these other wheels on it just uh to pacify Boyd. So uh, I liked it better with switchblades on it, but
0: we should have, you know, I wonder if you could have gotten a hold of centerline and done like a uh, done a switchblade with like the Convo Pro. <laughs> uh, no no. <laughs> That's gonna be the next big wheel. The Convo Blade. <laughs> Convo and blade. <laughs> uh, everything's
3: better with convo, huh? <laughs> there's,
1: there's nothing I hate worse now than directional wheels, and it's like, but at the time, I just love, you know, it's the early '90s. It's like, oh, uh, gotta have direct. That was the wheels. style.
0: Too bad. So, too bad we can't talk somebody to bring in back the Keystone Classic, but doing that with like a know, twist, you no, know, one of the like real, the intro twists.
1: I don't. I don't know if. Uh, if, if any of you guys know what the, uh, it, I think it was motor wheel, that motor wheel spider. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I love that. They only made that wheel from 68 to 74 and I could not convince any of my customers that I got right now to let me recreate that wheel in a big diameter wheel. Cause everybody just looks at it and they're like, nobody recognizes it. And I'm like, you know how iconic that wheel is to me. Um, I love Can that wheel. Can I send wheel. you something
0: offline? When we're done, I'm going to ship you over one I drew like three years ago. Let's compare yeah. notes. You and I got to oh. make this happen.
1: Oh, cool! Cool. Whatever it I takes. I love that wheel. <laughs>
0: that's one of my favorites. Being a Mopar guy, it's like yeah. See,
1: that's crazy. what I I remember that wheel being on Mopars, and it, it looks like it could have been a Mopar wheel, but I don't know for some reason I always associate that wheel with a Mopar. You know, yeah.
0: definitely. Like I think you know what I think they look great on though. If you did it the right offset, if you did the one I I'm going to give away everything. No, I'm not going to give away what I did to it. The way I did mine. I always thought it would look really cool on a Corvair. It just has the oh, right really. look to it with the lines yeah. of it, you know? Not such no a good kidding. wheel. Cool, well,
3: yeah. Motor wheel had some cool designs back in the day, like the fly. That's a, well, that's a that's timeless what it, you know, wheel.
1: Like Scott, Scott's 55, when I first saw it, he had, I'm trying to think of what they were. They were, I think they were Krager, but he had them machined out to be the same pattern as a motor wheel fly. So it was like a, it was actually a, like a super what was what did crager have back at the time that was a real drag race wheel um i can't think of what it was was, yeah it was like a street it was like a super trick but it was a real drag race super trick it wasn't right the lightweight was not the heavyweight yeah they're actually two stamped halves with like a three-quarter inch thick spacer through the middle anyway he had his machined out to look like a motor wheel fly well when he when he drove that car cross country they had some you know because of the front ones are so skinny he ended up having issues with it and uh but who else would drive that 55 cross country anyway but <laughs> but but Scott. and uh it's, it's a great article in hot rod but um have you been following know- his
0: build thread over on facebook yeah well
1: yeah i am and that's what he's like he just posted a picture yesterday i think it was of bogart's made making a wheel now that is a copy of the fly and it, it's okay. it's as correct as you'd ever imagine and i'm i'm sure it's structurally sound you know but uh, Scott's car—I mean, his car had after he he took the flies off of it. He put Budnick made him some wheels that that look kind of similar to the flies, but there still looks like a billet wheel. It's like, well, it's not the same. But these Bogart wheels definitely look just like the old flies. So very great job, guys. <laughs> but,
3: and they can handle the street, like not like yeah. the originals.
1: Yeah. 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 The originals were never meant to do that. They were just building no. them for straight line. You know, a few seconds at a time, but I remember
3: dying. when Kolofsky put those on his yellow 36 wheelies and I just flipped yeah. out and he yeah. used to put an advertisement in the back of hot rod every month, trying to find anybody that was oh. selling those things. Remember? Yeah. I yeah, always had an ad in the back, you know, looking for motor wheel yeah. flies. I <laughs> yeah. wonder if yeah. he was breaking them at a pretty regular rate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Koloski's Koloski's Willies was another one of those cars that was way ahead of its time. Oh. Way oh. just so far. I mean, yep. just so oh. far ahead of its time. And that's Greg Fleury for you. It's like that guy just his his work always amazed me, you know. Yep. And uh that uh that 66 Chevelle twin turbo car that I'm working on now for Joe Nichols. See, Greg, it's, Greg did a bunch of the work on that car. All that if you look at the the pictures of all that aluminum uh air intake stuff for the intercooler and you know some of the chassis work um on on the 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 very front of that car um greg did all that stuff you know and that's just that's just a morrison chassis car that greg cut up quite a bit but the parts that i added are basically the cage and the uh the dashboard and trying to think of what else i did on it so far um that's another great story that, you know, that, that Chevelle at Joe's was a car that he built that won a, a bunch of awards at Street Machine Nationals back in like 1989 or something like that. And it was a your typical big block Chevy pro street car. But uh, now he's doing it as, you know, a reincarnation basically of that car only taken to a much higher tech level being a, you know, an all billet block, you know, big block Chevy twin turbo 102 millimeter turbos and and a re I mean just damn <laughs> 2,000 horsepower street car you know but that's yeah. Joe Nichols that's Joe Nichols for you but this car is 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 just amazing and just the work that that you know I'm I'm so happy that that Greg had a part in that and it's like it'll only make the stuff that I'm doing look that much better so.
3: You know, whenever you post up pictures on that thing, you know, there's going to be a sad day when it all gets blown apart and gets painted. And there's nothing yeah. against the painters oh, at all, but yeah. I love it in right. raw steel. That's, it looks so badass.
1: That's what a lot of people don't understand. It's like, why do you why do you show everybody exactly how you do what you do? It's like, they're just going to take your ideas. And it's like, you know what? When this car is done and painted, nobody's going to appreciate it as much as they are appreciating the pictures of it in bare metal. And it's like, exactly. you know what? You know, people can try to steal your ideas, but they're just going to, they're they are not going to copy them exactly the same way that you're doing it, you know, right. and right. so I'm not offended by that. It's like I'd much rather have the documentation of, and I like to, you know, I like to show people the detail stuff, you know, it's like, I i think it's cool. I don't know. Yeah. That's
3: well, that Chevelle and that early 60s Pontiac that you were doing. Are you yeah. still on that car? Or is, well, yeah. or is it...
1: yeah, well, that guy, that's another guy from oh, man. That's He's another actually a badass car. Yeah, that Pontiac is so cool. <laughs> that's an understatement. Paul from he's actually from Moments, Illinois. And uh, right now, I think it's only waiting. I think Tracy Weaver is supposed to be doing the interior in that car. And uh, I don't really know. I mean, um, when I was at Platinum, you know, helping them guys, that, that was the main reason I was there um, at that place was to be able to see that car through. And, you know, that's one of those cars that, you know, I'm all about doing a nice car like a riddler car it's like to me riddler cars are way way too much um i don't know how to explain it way they're way too involved they're way too yeah. much of a piece of furniture right. they're way, i mean i love the finished product but to me that pontiac is my kind of car because what i wanted to do on that car was take the the actual because those had a really good chassis those were a perimeter frame you know the the chevys were an X-frame car. The Pontiacs were a perimeter frame car. I didn't
3: know that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. so look in that album of the Pontiac um, in my, my Facebook stuff, Yeah. and uh, look at the chassis work, and you'll be able to see. But I love the Roadster Shop um, front suspension. Like, I, I don't think they're doing it right now. They See, before, like in the past couple of years, you could buy just a front suspension crossmember okay. with with all their Revo stuff, but I heard that they quit doing that because they would much rather focus their time on building a complete chassis than building just that suspension part. So I don't know if that if they're really discontinuing doing that or if that's still. the anyway, the 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 roaster shop front suspension stuff is is really really nice. Um, and so the back, I just I took all and that's got that really big Pontiac rear end. And uh, Paul already had like a 411 gear in it and like the safety track and uh, bigger axles. So what I um, what i wanted to do is just narrow the rear end a little bit we ended up you know just putting some Mosure axles in the back of it but um it's only narrowed to fit a 10 inch wheel in the back of it because he didn't want to mini tub it um i did end up i did end up notching the frame like an inch and a half on each side to be able to fit a bigger tire on it but i didn't have to mini tub it um and that's the one we had eva do the wheels that are are like a tribute to the early uh, eight lug pontiac oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, did
1: a great, yeah, did a great job. Um but that that car in general just the the design of it and the simplicity um I mean, I basically worked on that car by myself for like the first two and a half years, you know, and and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a full-time job. I mean, it it was bouncing out cuz you know, at the shop we had like, you know, four or five cars going on. So, I don't I can't tell you how many hours in that car, but if you look at it, it's a fairly simple build. A guy could really build A similar car to that in their garage at home to me it's all the tasteful stuff like like doing the engine compartment the way that i wanted it done you know it still has the stock inner wheel tubs it has like uh, some openings in the core support like pontiac might have done before they came up with ram air stuff you know um just the 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 amount of trim on i wanted it to look like like a pontiac executive would have ordered a bonneville in 1961 To be his work car but yet have all the super duty parts put on it you know so that that's what i wanted that car to be you know so but i love that car and and i it'll yeah it's right now i think it's just waiting for the interior and but and it's it's a great color it's like i got to pick the color on that car it's actually a uh, aston martin color but just little things like cutting the bumpers up doing typical stuff extending the rockers one of the things i hate the most on a car is a pinch weld on the bottom of the rocker. So I always try to just extend the rockers down to hide the pinch weld. And it just makes the car look a, that much lower anyway when you do that. And yeah, it's one of the things that when it's done, you can't really tell that it was done. And the customer is like, why, why did I spend $10,000 this? <laughs> And it's like, well, when it's done, yeah it looks right it's it's yeah. it's not because you're trying to make it look cool. it's just that you're trying to make it not look bad. so it's like, well
3: and that sixty one is such a good looking body style you gotta kind of be careful not to take too yeah. much away from That's what, it yeah,
1: that car has such great body shape oh, to it man you know, people the love the
3: Apollos, but I think those are our better looking car in that yeah. year sixty one yeah. for sure
1: oh yeah, oh yeah I love I love the front ends on them. I just yeah. They're really long. I mean, the the, uh, the Pontiac version, the, the Bonneville anyway, is 123-inch uh, wheelbase, where the Chevys are 119, or like the Venturas are the shorter wheelbase like the Chevys. Okay. But the Bonnevilles are the long they got a 5-inch longer quarter panel, so if you look at that Pontiac, the deck lid looks like a damn El Camino. <laughs> Tonneau cover. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, that car that car is so badass so i know someday someday the pontiac will be at like sema or it'll be you know it'll be somewhere important like columbus and that and uh you definitely it's one of them cars you got to see in person just yeah. the little details yeah
0: kind of going back a little bit we, we had kind of mentioned riddler cars and you've obviously had your hand in that kind of stuff yeah where where's your head right now with what they're doing um Say with the Al Saloniker Memorial Award, and allowing people to show pictures of the cars. I mean, do you think this is going to? Uh-huh. think it's going to help it.
1: It's hard to say. It, it, you know, all the rules that, you know, and the the bad thing is, there's almost. I think they they really shouldn't disqualify a car because somebody at some time in the life of that car, somebody took a picture of it, and then somebody put it online, and it's like that shouldn't be the owner's problem. You know. It's hard to say. I mean, I don't. I mean, I I think the reason that that rule came up to begin with is it's the promoters of the car show just trying to get people to come to see a car for the first time. You know, it wasn't. It's it's for no other reason than financial gain by the by the by the car show promoters. You know, and it's like that. The guys spending all that money to build a car shouldn't be. Uh, hindered by that part of yeah. it you
3: know i see both sides of that equation because yeah it's kind of cool to go see a car that you know you've never seen and you kind of heard a yeah. little bit about it but you never but there's yeah. also something else like like a car that you've built i've been watching you put this thing together now i get to see it now i get to look at it up yeah. close and really that's, appreciate that's the detail the
1: way, that's the way i look at it it's yeah. like you know i it, it's just hard it it's just hard for the the customer and it's hard for the shop building it because the shop building it always wants to be able to post pictures of what they're doing to get more work or you know oh yeah but, cause if you uh,
0: fall out of the public eye today in social yeah, media most yeah, people think like, your shop closed
3: <laughs> right it
1: takes, right it takes so much time to do a riddler car i mean it's i think that the uh 36 that we did at troy's there was 30,000 man hours in that car, and it's like, holy crap, how do all, you all done in three do you, weeks for a TV show, though? Right? How you, how you, yeah, that's a, it's like, God. <laughs> and then and then you couldn't show any pictures of that car. And it's like, man, that's just that's tough, you know, and it's like, even today, it's like when I mention that car, nobody I know knows of that car but it's like, I guarantee you there's more people that know of the cars that I post in bare metal on Facebook than know about what car won the Riddler two years ago. So it's true. I look at it, I look at it that way. So it's like, well, it's all great for the, the customer. I get, you know, to, to be able to win that kind of thing. But it's those just, those cars, I'm glad to be involved with the ones that I was involved with um, just for the amount of creativity that they, that they allow you to to have and and the expense of what it takes to like building all that suspension stuff from scratch, you know, it's like you can't do that on a on a driver type car and expect, you know, expect it to live for any great amount of time and the, the maintenance of it and all that stuff, you know. And it's like it's great for a show car. It's great, you know, for the the piece of furniture that they are. It's great to look at, but it's not it's not really feasible. On a driver, and that's what I try to focus on anymore. It's like I, I still want to do really cool suspension stuff, but you want it to, you want to make it look cool, but it doesn't need to be over the top Riddler type uh, stuff. It's like I like, I always like the real mechanical, functional part of it, and not making a bunch of, because not making a bunch of covers. That's one thing that anymore I really try to stray away from is making a cover, just to hide what something looks like, you know. There's nothing to me uglier than a a, a stock LS9. It's like yeah. that's the dumbest yeah. looking motor, but it's like <laughs> it makes up for it, it makes up for itself by being 630 yeah. horsepower. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's just dumb looking. You know? So I mean, I've been involved with projects like that that you got to make a cover. You know, you got to cover this thing up because it's just dumb looking. You know. Yeah. I'd much rather like the, uh, the the one Camaro that I'm working on right now is it's a Don Hardy built L, uh, LT4, and those are actually a pretty good looking motor and the stuff like Hardy makes the, you know, billet valve covers and billet coil pack covers and stuff like that. And it's real functional looking. It still looks like an LT4, but it's pretty. It's not, it's not dumb looking, you know? So uh, <laughs> I, I like, I like that kind of thing. I don't know. I I still like the real mechanical functional look of stuff, you know, but like when we were doing stuff uh, back in the nineties, we thought it was cool to make engine covers and, you know, yep. cover everything up you know and it's like now i'm kind of you you want to get away from that and try to try to make the the mechanical components as cool looking as they can look you know so i think there's some guys out there doing some
3: pretty impressive stuff with the ls motors as ugly as they are there's some guys doing some pretty cool stuff and they look pretty good when they're done
1: yeah i like you know there's there's guys addressing more of the uh you know, trying to make them look like an early small block, which technically, yeah. they are covers and that. But doing an intake that looks like a four-barrel intake, and it's like, I really like the look of that, you know. It's just the LS9s I pick apart, because I'm like, God, is that dumb?
0: And I'm not saying, you know, there wasn't any creativity in making the engine cover stuff. Because, you know, I've yeah. done a bunch of those. You, you were, yeah. like, the master of that. Your designs on that stuff, you can tell <laughs> the ones you did. And what what's funny, though, is, like, it just seemed kind of a cheat. It was yeah. like, uh, what's, what's the easiest way to cover this? Let's throw something over it.
3: Yeah. Now yeah. it's
0: cool, and maybe it's because people are more open to it, but it allows us to really push things a little bit further and go, okay, how can, you know, like you said, how can you make this look cool versus just covering it or tucking it, you know? Right. You know, How do you yeah. run a serpentine right. belt behind the firewall to hide, you know,
2: oh, the exactly. alternator
0: that you don't want to see? So it's.
1: Exactly.
2: If
0: you and I sit <laughs> down, it. we could probably come up with a shaft-driven alternator
1: that runs oh yeah behind i mean, the driver we've seat. come up with, like, if you look at the uh that 57 that that won the riddler just i think it was last year Scott Snackloth is i'm not sure if you know who he is but he's probably been involved in more riddler cars that people don't know about um but he started doing that car uh up in at his shop in iowa you know we designed the suspension stuff and and Scott was another one of those guys that's really good to work with because he's a really really creative guy and he's a guy that does all that interior stuff. If you've ever seen it, where it's all wet sanded and buffed, it's like the headliner, the garnish moldings, the dash, the the floor. Every single part of the interior is wet sanded and buffed. That, that's that's Scott's neckcloth. <laughs> it's like who in their right mind would do that, you know? But uh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely like. I mean, I'm I'm glad for the the. Uh, riddler car stuff that i've been involved with but i i kind of gravitate more towards like cars like the pontiac or like joe nichols the 61 bubble top that i'm doing right now um like joe's 61 is it's basically a stock z06 drivetrain with just different intake and and exhaust and stuff like that but that car you'll get be able to get in it drive it to california power windows air conditioning powder coated chassis morrison chassis just sits four inches off the ground, completely drivable. And it's like, that's my idea of a car. It's like, it's definitely a show car, but it's not a trailer queen, you know. So right. uh, I I just like cars like that, you know. That's one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the hardest thing to teach somebody is proportion. I'm sure you know that. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of things. People make modifications just for the sake of making modifications, you know, but Trying to get the proportions right is one of the hardest things to explain to people and it's either you get it or you don't, you know, it's just really nice being able to, to work with guys like that that understand the reason why you're changing this or changing that it's like, it's not, it's not for the sake of, of of making it radical or making it more radical, it's just to get the proportions right, you know, and so taking it
0: all... further back. Um... You'd mentioned you know doing some work uh, early on with Scott as far as graphics go, yeah what what point in your life did you pick up the airbrush the first time?
1: Well, I think you know <laughs> that's another story i don't I don't want to step on anybody's toes or make anybody think I'm badmouthham or anything, but it was when the the first car that I was able to do some actual paint work on working with scott was troy's 50 buick because that was a he troy had steve samper do a rendering of that car and a lot of what steve did on the buick was he he wanted to make it more of a a uh hard top type car with i think he even had it where it didn't have windows that rolled up in it and the sides of it and so it was pretty radical but um we basically kept you know we kept kept all the stock proportions but we used steve's rendering to lay out the paint scheme. And uh, the only thing that we wanted to change was, um, Troy really liked Scott Sullivan's work. So um, the badges on that car were on the on the hood, it's like a Chevy bow tie busting out of a Buick emblem, because it had a big block Chevy in it. And on one side, the Buick badges, one of the badges was like a nitrous bottle. And uh, on the other side, I think it was just a stock Buick badge, you know, the the shield, the tri shield badge, you know, but it was just a weekend project that Scott came came to Mantino from uh, Dayton, and I drew it out, uh, what we all had to do, and then uh, Scott airbrushed it, and then he let me do a little bit of painting on one of the badges, and when it was all said and done, I think Scott got, he got paid like a $1,000, and I got paid $100, and that's when <laughs> I knew, that's, a, <laughs> that's when You're I knew. You were the knew. apprentice. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I know, I know, I am not, I am not saying any, that's just when you know that it's like, well, shit, I could do this, you know, and it's like, little did I know how hard it was, you know, that, that was just a very simple job, you know, so it was right after that, when, after we did the uh, Buick, the, the job of the, uh, uh, the, the Rambler, the 59, the Rambler wagon, um, and that was another Steve Stamper drawing and it was red and, red and black two-tone and I, I was studying the drawing and, I'm, and I, I told Troy that I could do that you know and and that's when I went from making uh, like $15 an hour to making $50 an hour doing airbrush work <laughs> you're doing paint work you know so uh, that was that was the big turning point you know that was the first car that I did graphics on completely on my own and it's like it it was mostly due just to Scott's mentor mentoring me um, and giving me the opportunity. And he doesn't work with people. I mean, I mean, I feel, I feel blessed because um, (laughs) I don't think in Scott's history that he's ever taken anybody under his wing that he did me. And, and uh, you know, it's like my, I think my whole career, I owe to Scott Sullivan. I mean, because I never would have, I never would have had the balls to, to jump in. And I was always scared of hurting somebody's car. You know, it's like, I could never, if I, if I screw this up, I can't afford to fix it. You know, but it's like, it's the, it's, it's being brave from for one thing working with Troy's where Troy's one of those guys that he jumps into everything feet first, regardless of the consequences. It's like, so he taught me just do it, just jump in and figure it out. You're smart enough to figure it out. I think it's one of the, it's one of the the things I'll always remember about, Working with guys like uh, like Troy and Scott were is that you're smart enough to figure it out, you know. Man, I... that's, that's what... <laughs> it was scary, believe me. Because I, I was a guy, like I said, I always made I'm I'm just this guy that draws cars and and uh, I get to work with I got to all of a sudden got to work with guys like that 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 I just looked up to so much and then just through experiment, you know, not after the, after that part of it, you know. After that part of working with Scott and just kind of understanding the materials and, the, uh, you know, how what you got to sand something with to get the paint to stick or what materials, you know, to use and that, then I wasn't afraid anymore. It's like you still kind of screwed stuff up and you, and you just sand it off and you try again, you know. But I wasn't afraid of hurting somebody's car anymore. And uh, it just, the more and more you learn, the better and better you got at it. And I think I got to a point where, Okay, this is as good as I could ever get because I just want to spend more time on it. It's like I can do better. I, I would have to spend a lot more time, and there's just not the time that I'm allowed to spend on it. It's like I went from spending maybe maybe 40 or 50 hours on a on a graphic job to spending 200 hours on a graphic job, <laughs> and I had to be like, okay, I got to cut myself off because there there's no end to it. It's like the more the more you, the, the better you get at it, I think the the more you want to do and push the envelope of, of, of seeing what the customer will let you get away with, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't think I, I ever, uh, disappointed it. Like I hurt somebody's or I, I did a bad design on a car, you know, I, I think, I think I'm always proud of, and that's why I didn't want to be the guy that, that it, you're on a timeline. Okay. And okay. This has to be done, um, This has to be done in a week or this has to be done in two or three days because we got to get it cleared because we got a photo shoot and blah 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 it's like that was never really the case at Troy's it's like there were certainly deadlines it didn't matter if if you had to work all night or all weekend or a month straight to meet that deadline you're still allowed the hours to devote to the artwork in order to the to the craftsmanship part of it so no matter what you try to never shortcut the craftsmanship whether or not there was money in it or not. I remember one thing we were doing uh, Danny Jacobs, 39 Chevy back in the day. That was like an, it was a first street rod that and me and Troy really didn't know what we were doing. We were just, you know, trying to build a nice car. And that was in 95, I believe. And uh, that's the one I did like alligator or snakeskin. Yeah. Alligator skin uh, graphics on the outside
2: I of the car. Well. And then you open
1: the door and yeah, add that car. And it's like, I love that car to death. And and uh, and uh, I remember, you know, the guy who owned the car owned a local um, hardware store, and uh, you know he's basically uh, he's he's building a, a you know in our mind a Riddler quality car on a shoestring budget, and uh, a lot of it he couldn't afford to have us do it, and we, there's a lot of stuff we just did, you know, for free basically, you know, because. Um, I remember at one point Troy coming up to me it was payday and he goes well how much money do you actually have to have this week you know and people don't understand that part of it that much it's like I'm sorry but we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna shortcut the car we got this vision for what it needs to be and and we're gonna build it to that level whether the guy can afford it or not and uh as long as he doesn't tell us as long as he doesn't come and take it home we're we're gonna make it turn out the way that we want it you know and and that's that was that was good on that car because that's the show that we took that car to Detroit that year, not intending on it being a grade eight car, but it was parked right across the aisle from George poteet He had a 37 Ford there that year, and that's how we met George poteet Had he probably had three hundred three or four hundred thousand in his car in ninety-five. We had a hundred in this car, and uh, everybody told us that uh you realize your car almost beat George Poteet's car to and uh that's when like I said that's when you know that um uh, that you're doing good work you know it's like uh George was even like I said ever since then George has been a good friend at uh, uh, Troy and myself so um you like to think that you you do good work well regardless of uh of the pay of it you know and
2: the The first time I'd ever seen your paintwork, <clears throat> i'd I'd seen your stuff through the years. You'd been doing it. you've been doing this stuff for a long time. And it was the year we actually met at sema. and uh, yeah. and that forty was there, that that, yeah. that that you and I were talking about earlier. Yeah. and then that and then that all-wheel drive uh, thirty two that you guys yeah. really did, that one yeah. that summit had built and it yeah. got. Yeah. Which yeah, the, the second be. the second version was a whole lot prettier than the first version. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember walking up, you know, and, and you and I were talking, and you're like, "Yeah, you do it with a brush, though." When I mask this and I do this, and I remember looking at your stuff up close, going, "Holy crap, this has got to take forever because he's asking this and <laughs> it doing does this." Take forever. <laughs> well, and I and I know that because I you know being a painter, I do appreciate yeah. what you do. So, dude, hats off to you. You are you are freaking amazing.
1: I'm pretty sure I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not embarrassed. I, you know, I think I'd be more embarrassed about stuff that people don't give you the time to do it in. And, and, you know, uh, and that's really doing into that's, that's really Troy's doing, you know, I mean, he's really the one that got the customer to, to let me do what I needed to do, you know, and, and I wasn't, I'm not the guy that had to deal with the customer or, you know, I didn't have to try to to get a design okayed by the customer. Basically, I would I would do a rendering and show them, but I wouldn't really have to be the guy to try to convince them that this is the way it needed to be or get them involved in it that much. You know, and that that's a hard that's a really hard part of the business that we're in. You know, and and that's the one thing that uh, that Troy and Jack were really good at. So in the end, in the end, you end up with a car like that 40. That to me, that that 40 is like really controversial because. I think if you you either really like that car, or you really hate it because it's kind of weird, you know, um, especially the interior in that car. And it's like, but uh, the owner was really open to that type of idea for the interior, and um, so we just got to run with it, you know. So I'm proud of that part of it too, you know. So.
0: Well, it was a cool car, man. The car that car did a lot of neat stuff, and when yeah. you realize how many off the shelf parts are on that car, like, yeah. what, like you know, granted it's modified, but you know the entire roof yeah. mechanism is what Mustang. Yeah.
1: Mustang, yeah. It had to be narrowed at the top. Be when when we first started working on the car, the windshield, the other shop that worked on it, the top of the windshield was actually wider than the bottom of the windshield, and we're like, what the hell are these guys thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to change. I mean, but that was like, you know, the clamshell. I mean, everything had to work kind of like a new BMW. You know, it's just it really there's so much to it, and people don't realize that uh, what it all took to to make that. Function right you know
0: but i was going to jump on the brad bandwagon and mention you know how uh you know they you know you two had met at sema you and i met at sema kind of the yeah. same way i think uh it might have even been that same year yeah it was right before the torino so yeah that would have been right around that same timeline and i i've never i don't think i've ever thanked you enough for being as kind as you were that day <laughs> you were really cool. I, I think I fanboyed oh, the hell out of you.
2: <laughs> oh, no, it's
1: all right. It's always good. To, and that, that's the one good thing about SEMA that I kind of miss because I haven't really been there that much in the last few years. But uh, I think hopefully we'll have Joe Nichols' 61 because Joe Nichols is good friends with the SADA guys, so they always want him to bring a car there. So uh, I think we may end up having his 61 bubble top in uh, the SADA booth uh, sometime, maybe, maybe this year, but I'm not quite sure if that's going to happen. It, it may be at upholstery by then, so I don't know if that's going to happen. But, um, but yeah, I, I kind of miss that because, to me, has always been like a like a, like a a class, I wouldn't say a family reunion, it's like more like a class reunion that you run into people that you know in the industry, and it's nice to, to touch base with them in that. And, uh, like I said, I kind of miss the, the graphic part of it because a lot of people I know relate to that a lot, you know, and I just kind of, I kind of got away from it more to be involved in the metal work that i wanted to i wanted to pursue more and uh I, i've still done graphic stuff in the last few years but just it probably doesn't not not on as much of a high profile thing as like when i did stuff for like troy and ring brothers where their stuff's in the magazines all the time or like at seaman you know just high profile stuff you know but uh with the new shop i i hope to start doing a little more graphic work, but you know, like I said, I'm 61 years old. My eyesight's not as good. (laughs) It might take me a little bit longer, but I still got ideas that I want to do on uh, it's gotta be the right car. And that's the one thing that I, I try to stress to people anymore. And it's like, well, I hate to put it this way, but I don't know if your car qualifies for for what I want to do, you know? So um, I I just don't want to do, you know, just get paid to do, get paid by the hour to do artwork on something that I'm not, Excited about, I guess, you
2: know, so. you're, you're allowed to get picky as you get older. That's that's part of the, yeah. the joy of that's doing that. Like, you can like, pick up on. what you want to work on. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> Luckily, I got right now, I got enough work to keep me busy for a while. So it's like, oh, when you're younger and you try to be picky, it's like, well, shit, if I turn that down, I ain't got nothing to do. So now it's like, well, I got I got stuff to do. I got plenty to do. So.
0: <laughs> or or you get that reputation as the guy. Oh, he's too picky. Yeah, he well, works with so would, and so, it's a, uh. yeah.
1: Well, I, 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 you know, I do admit that I in the in the past and probably I probably haven't changed a whole lot, but uh, if you ask Troy or Ring Brothers or any of them guys, they'll definitely tell you that that Bob Thrash, he's an opinionated son of a bitch. You know, it's like he's pretty hard to, he's pretty hard. To- he's pretty hard to deal with you know and it's like well i'll give him that it's like i can't i can't deny that part of it you know when i think it's just a i think i'm just being true to to the artwork you know it's like that's the way i look at it it's like i just want it my way because i can i can figure out i can see it that way and that's just the way it needs to be and i I may not be good at at, uh, explaining to the customer that but uh it's basically the way i want to do it so
2: it's hard to say <laughs> well,
0: well speaking here we, we got three artists here all, all of us have kind of done our own thing there, there's a point you reach though where if you can back up your idea and what you're saying and justify it and it's falling yeah. on deaf ears you know you want to do something that's going to help yeah. the car out and you know we're we're in the whole thing our, our job is to make it the best product it can possibly be and granted we always don't see everything i mean there might be some hidden yeah things somewhere but if we're going at it with an idea that this is what's going to help make this part of the car well and flow with this part, you've got to argue yeah. sometimes. You have no choice.
1: It's and I, know, like I said, I, I know a lot of times you can try to explain it to customers or some customers that no matter what, they don't, they can't get it until they see it at the end. And so you, you, they're basically working on blind faith, you know, that Either you trust me or you don't. If you trust me, I guarantee you, you'll be happy. And and I there's there's only been, I mean, of everything I've ever done, there may have been one or two guys that when it was, was done, that is, it wasn't quite their taste. And, you know, it's not like they said, well, I'll just repaint it or just that's not what I wanted. But it's like 99.9% mm-hmm. of the time I've had customers say that I had no idea it was going to be as, as nice as that. It's like they just hadn't they just couldn't picture it you know and 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 i understand that you know and it's like i just i think i take it for granted i think a lot of artists type people do that you have the vision in your head and you got the basic idea and you may not be able to draw it exactly because it's hard to it's hard to show somebody metal flake and and pearls and all that <laughs> by talking about it you know But when they see it in the end, they're just like, holy crap, you know, it's like, they're just blown away by it. And that's 99% of the time. But there has been that, you know, once or twice when the customer is just like, "Well, it's not exactly what I was thinking. Or or you might have to change the color of one panel just so that they had a say-so in it. They wanted, they like to be able to say (laughs) that. They just want to change something. They just want to change something to not feel like they were wrong, you know, so... Okay, well, I'll give
0: you that. I had taken at one point, uh, early on in my career, I decided, because you mentioned you're trying to show somebody what Metal Flake looks like. I had this super brilliant idea, and it was probably due to the fact that I hadn't slept for a week. I thought, I'm going to use some glitter on this. So I'm there with some spray fix, putting a little bit of glitter onto this rendering. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I I roll this thing up in the tube, and I send it off, right? Well, I get the phone call from my client who's pissed off at me because I glitter bombed him with this tube of uh, just glitter. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing like trying to tell a guy, "Well, okay, take it, sweep it up off the floor, and sprinkle it nicely over the top
1: of the rendering I just sent you." On the, uh, it's funny you mention that because on the on the Pontiac, um, that '61 Pontiac, the side trim, I, I put gold metal flake on the insert of the side trim. And I'm trying to show that in a rendering for Tracy of the interior, because I wanted him to, we're going to make some panels that actually are painted with some gold metal flake in it. So I actually did the same thing. I'm I i uh, I'm trying to think of what I used for adhesive for the gold metal flake, but it wasn't, it was just like, like uh, some kind of clear fixative or something. And it basically did the same thing. It just didn't stick, you know? So, and then I made, I tried making color copies of it and it just doesn't, it looks muddy. It doesn't look like, so. On the renderings that I actually had to send to Tracy, I sent him the ones with the actual gold metal flake. And uh, I was waiting for him to get back with me and tell me the same thing. He's like, What's, a, what's all this like birthday glitter in here or something? You know,
0: so. <laughs> well, Tracy deserves some glitter in his life. So, your your graphic style, when when you approach a car, if you're called on to throw graphics on a car, what um, what is your approach to it? Do you, uh, I'm not even going to um, guide you on
1: this. I just want to know. Yeah. Let's it's, get into yeah, Bob's I mean, head. I think you know. I think one of the things that always stuck with me is in know it was an article in Hot Rod magazine once about talking to like Harry Bradley, and he said a car should look like a wedding dress. It should flow front to back, you know, and that's always stuck with me. And so to me, the graphics always have to have a direction. I think when you're talking about a car, like uh, like like not no not necessarily like when you're trying to do something that is a a take off of a, a muscle car type graphic, you know, or like a factory muscle car type graphic. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a car has to have like a, a forward motion look to it, you know, but uh, that's one of the things like when you're laying out a, like a car, like the the, the graphics on the 40 or like the Rambler or something, you know, you got to keep that in mind is that it's like a car should always look like it's got motion to it. So I always have that in the back of my mind, you know, as far as is that part of it, you know, and people don't, I think one of the hardest things is like, people always want to throw colors on it that are so contrasting and it's hard, it's hard to visualize what colors actually look good together, you know, and that's just personal, in my opinion, it's just personal preference, you know, and uh, there's, when you're trying to tell somebody you want to put brown pinstripes on their, you know, (laughs) around the end of something, they're like, brown, why would you put, why would you put brown on, (laughs) you know, on this, on a red card, you know, and it's like, well, it's hard to explain, but when you see it, you'll like it, you know, so it's kind of, it's just one of them things that it, it, most of it's purely subjective that you, a lot of it's you're making it up as you go, and to me, I've just, I just, when I see it, I know it, you know, and it's, you may not know how to explain it to people, but like on that 40, I had this, this really bold lime green pinstripe around the bottom edge of it, that was like electric, you know, and it's like, I just started, doing that and you know I knew I wanted like a a green thing there but it's like it's it's really bold you know and it's like you know what I really like that you know (laughs) most people probably wouldn't do that like I like that you know and it worked it
0: yeah and sometimes you're trying to bring a color from like the interior to the outside and and bring it yeah people don't get that part it yeah, yeah and I always wonder too if you could look back how many miles of fine line tape do you figure you've laid <laughs> on a
1: car? That's a, that's another <laughs> thing I I try to tell people that have not like uh like they they're not they're not used to the expense of of masking tape and fine line tape. I told them, I'm going to need about $500 just for fine line tape cuz the fine line any I mean when I started using fine line it was like 5 bucks a roll now it's like 14 bucks a roll, you know.
3: Right.
1: So right. Uh, uh the the material cost has gone way up, you know. But I go through I mean, you could tell because I I don't I am not a freehand pinstriper by any means. It's like I didn't get into doing graphics until I was like in my 30s. So I didn't I didn't start out trying to do freehand stuff at all. It's like everything I was I was always influenced by Scott Sullivan stuff that everything is so perfect and straight that you can do that by masking it off. And I'm like, well, that's the answer right there. (laughs) I am not talented enough to do freehand. So if uh, if
2: you really want to mess up your customer's heads, I I know when I work at Billy B's, he would start keeping track of the tape by just throwing the the extra roll in the boat he was working on. So every tape, it would just the roll, you know, so I get done working. It was like 900 rolls of masking tape. Somebody's like, what is all that tape? That's just from this boat here. (laughs) <laughs> so you need to do that when you're doing a graphic job. Just uh, keep the rules in the cars when they come in and it's like, there's what I used on your car. I always
0: wonder yeah, what you, for the amount you put on the car. How, I've always thought back, like how much I've pulled off of a car and just yeah. thrown back on the ground to redo it.
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh a lot. It's like tumbleweed. Yeah, it's an equal. It's tumbleweed stuck to the floor of the, the paint booth. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, you definitely got to have like, I, I've always had to have a, uh, like a 55 gallon drum inside the paint booth that I can throw, you know, even just mat, even just paper, you know, it's like, because a lot of the time it's just masking a small area and spraying it. And, but you still got to have paper around it. And then, you that's one thing that, that people ask me all the time is like, well, can't you just mask it once and spray it and account for every single thing? And it's like, no, I got to unmask it and look at it. You know, it's like, I got to be able to see, what I'm doing as I'm going, I can't. I can't do like like a screen printing thing where I just do. I can do exactly one color at a time. Mask, you know, it's like you mask the whole car and then you just unmask these small areas to paint little things. I'm like, nope, I got to unmask the whole car to stand back and look at it. So it's just layered by a layer. Of super,
0: you should start yeah. masking with like silk shirts. This would be great. <laughs> I was I always thought that was funny too, and you try to explain to someone too, where if you're building up a lot of colors in different areas, as paint builds up on that paper, eventually some of that overspray doesn't yeah. settle into the paper; it's just running off of it.
1: Yeah, it's just it, it's just one of them things you learn over time of what works and what doesn't, or even what tapes. Like you know, just my the biggest thing what we battle, like I'm sure you're used to it, like in any in any spraying stuff, is adhesion. You know. Um, there's nothing worse than spending a bunch of hours on airbrush work, and then the last time you mask back on top of it, it peels everything off um, it's That's It's funny. pretty disappointing, pretty disappointing, but I mean it's so it's adhesion and i and there is no explaining why some jobs i mean anymore I try to sand every like you sand the clear with uh six hundred like in the beginning, I used to do um because when I didn't know any better, I used to do artwork right on top of base coat. And then I learned it's like no, we need to we need to base the whole thing, seal it with clear, sand the clear. Well, then I I would use like fifteen hundred or thousand. Well now I use six hundred. It's like I know it's like you got to give it some tooth to grab into, you know. And uh, I I just have way more luck with that. But then you always battle silvers for some reason. Silvers do not like to stick. There's just some brands of silvers that will not stick to anything that you do and it's like what the hell is it with silvers and i don't care if you use adhesion promoter i don't care if you sand it with 400 it's like there's silvers there's some silvers that just will not stick and it's like god damn it so we always have to
0: grind it down to bare metal
1: uh, there you go just leave it bare metal right there yeah exactly you know just over the years you learn uh you learn steps that work better and it's like uh after you uh, have to redo stuff a hundred times and you finally learn a little bit, I guess. So, but anymore, I'm really into, uh, uh, because I grew up in the sixties and seventies, I'm really into metal flakes and, and, uh, that type of, uh, you know, I still try to do it tasteful, but I try to incorporate, uh, at least like mini flake and everything. And I like candies. I don't like how temperamental candies are for, or how much buildup you got to have to use them, you know, so it's like, well, I'm, I, I can, I like, I like, I really like fades. Uh, I really like, uh, you know, transitions. Uh, trying to make stuff look three-dimensional. I think I'm more impressed by, by the 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 technical aspect of trying to make something look three-dimensional in paint than, in like having fancy paints like candies or, or, uh, I'm, one of my favorite things ever that I've never, you know. That every, like anytime I go to SEMO, you got all the lowrider guys. The paintwork on lowrider cars are absolutely the finest artwork I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, these guys are absolutely just crazy the amount of attention they, they can do. And and just the, the the murals and the the stuff, I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. So um, Always amazed by that, you know. Yeah, it's
3: one of my favorite buildings at Grand National, and I, and I would never even build one of those cars. But I go through oh. there and appreciate what
1: we've well, done. Gotta, yeah, you gotta look at the, the quality of the work, it's unbelievable. Yeah,
2: I don't even know what else to ask him. I had a few things, it's overwhelming, dude. What you can do, so yeah. <laughs> well, I'd say the
1: main thing is like, you know, when I started out, I was I always drew cars, and then I got into doing airbrush stuff on cars, and then I got. To do airbrush work on some really nice cars and then i got to do metal work on some nice cars and so now i just that's what I, I i like being able to you know i think when you're a kid your idea is that you always want to be able to to build a car you know so you you try to figure out the best way to get into that part of it and it's like i started out how i did and now now that i'm at the age that i am i've kind of gotten to the point where i can do i, I certainly don't call my myself an expert on everything I can do a little bit of everything uh, to a level that I'm I'm happy with. I would like to be faster at some of this stuff, or I would like to be uh, better at at more. I I, th- I think you could never learn too much uh, metal finishing or like metal forming. I I really appreciate guys like that that can, you know, shrink and stretch metal to create a a complete fender for for just about anything or, or an entire roof skin that just is is all formed you know it's like that that amazes me to death you know it's like i don't think i'll ever get to that in my lifetime but i think the kind of cars that i that i want to build at the point i'm at now are are exactly the cars that i'm working on you know it's like i can i can do good enough metal work to to get by with that that most body guys appreciate what you're doing that they're not uh creating everything out of bondo so uh that's a step in the right direction, anyway. So, but there's still, like I said, the the graphic part of it. I'm still interested in that part of it on the right cars. You know, um, I, I want to be able to do that on the cars that I'm involved with. I really don't want to do them that much on cars that are just that just come in just to do a graphic job. You know, um, but yeah, I say that, and then but Toby Brooks is bringing me his uh, his Mustang to do the graphics on. Nice. Uh, so and he showed me the early drawing i don't know if you saw that steve stamford did a rendering where the stripes it's basically the car's magenta I, I never use the word pink i always say magenta basically the car is pink and uh it's in i think the stripes were like white or silver but the stripes i don't i don't know what you call that it's not exactly a barcode it's like what do you call that pattern that's like the squares on the back of products anymore like a um, pixel- qr code a yeah. isolated thing so the stripes are done with the correct pixelated barcode things for all the manufacturers that are involved in that car. Oh, so wow. you know how cool that is? I mean, that yeah. that is a typical Steve Stanford idea there. It's like to the average person walking up to it, it it'll probably end up looking like digital camouflage, but it's actually that pixelated barcode thing that's gonna be the idea for the stripes. And I, I think the pictures I've seen of it. Well, didn't you didn't you do a drawing of that car? Yeah, I did um, one early on too. Yeah. Um it, but it 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 was still the pink color, and I think it might have had a different like see when Steve had when still when Steve did it, I think it had a flat hood with like stacks sticking out of the hood or something like that. Yeah, that's well, the now,
0: first one with the rally stripes up it and yeah, everything that, like that.
1: That's that's the one that I remember seeing the idea for. And it's like, man, I love that idea. So no matter what I do, I think I'm going to end up doing stripes that have that. But then I also like the idea of how I used to do the Ring Brothers logos on the hood. And just because that motor has a boss motor and pro charger and all that, it's like, well, it's got to have some lettering on the hood that say all that stuff. You it know I mean? Yeah, and all. And it's like I'm excited about that project because it's not going to be a simple just two stripes down it and maybe look them, make them look pixelated like those barcode things. But it's like, no, it's gonna be technically correct in that aspect, but yet it's also gonna have some boss motor lettering and like Pro Charger something or other, and I really don't know. At this point, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but uh, I just know it's, it needs to be wild because it needs to remind you of the the 90s pro streetcar thing, you know, it's like, it's gotta have my nineties graphics on it. That's the way I look at it. So
2: yeah. <laughs> Great attitude. It'll be
1: a yeah. fun car. I can't wait to see it done.
0: How do I thank you enough
1: for coming on with us, man? <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that you called. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I got to talk to you guys. It's like I think a lot of people don't really quite like I said, I don't I I don't know if people know they they probably think I'm a younger guy than I am, you know. It's like <laughs> because of the cars that I get to work on, like I'm not one of those, uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of those, uh, those young guys uh, building really cool stuff. It's just, I'm just an old guy that's kind of been tinkering around with this stuff my whole life. And, and I like to think that I've learned a few things and, and I'm glad people liked it. And I just happen to be in the right place at the right time for a lot of it, you know, like with, with Troy and Scott Sullivan and, and Joe Nichols and you know all the guys the ring brothers, all them guys that I got to work with and and just all the guys that I used to work with at Troys, you know, so that's the way I look at it. It's like you you can't go to college for that, you know, it's like you just have to be in the right place at the right time and and you gotta have the passion for it and and you gotta starve sometimes, and you gotta work for it, so pretty uh pretty lucky
0: that is so well put thank you <laughs> see sage words, listener. <laughs> and that's what a lot of it is so it's you get out there it is literally the school of hard knocks
1: yeah yeah
0: and you find really quick if you're going to make it or not yeah well when you think when you're at the lowest point and you think you're not going to make it that's what everything seems to come together
1: i mean i think a lot of it is just having like i said in my case i just always had faith in what i was doing so like i said even at at my lowest which uh been there, I think everybody's kind of been there um you still have faith and you're you're doing it for the right reason and and because uh because you did it's it's gonna turn around you know it's not uh everything's not uh, everything's uh temporary nothing's permanent, whether it's success or failure or whatever so even even when the times were bad, I knew uh I'm doing good enough stuff that uh somebody's gonna gonna appreciate it.
0: Well, it was always appreciated know that. At least at least over here,
1: yeah. I appreciated yeah. how... <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Whatever that's worth, I mean, it's... See, my, my my whole philosophy has always been I just doubt myself the entire way.
1: Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you know, that's. I think that's the hardest thing. It's like, no matter what, just being an artist, it's like you always question. It's like, man, that's part of it. It's like, God, I, do I even know what the hell I'm doing? <laughs> it's like, nice. but then... But then when you actually get to see something done on such a high level of the kind of stuff that I got to work on, it's like, holy crap, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that that they gave me the opportunity to do this, and that's how it turned out. And and uh, there's so much more to it. Like, because like, I'm not a body guy. I'm not really that much of a, like, I don't paint complete cars and stuff. It's all the guys that do their job before I do mine, and then the guys that come in <laughs> after, like the guys that that that... That clear it and and wet sand and buff it buff it and spend a hundred hours wet sanding and buffing something you know and and then you get even after that you got to go back and mask it off to spray satin clear over an area you know after it's wet sanding and buffed it's like there's so many hours and so so many people that are experts at what they do that make your work look better even better you know that uh, it's like it's almost like I get I get all the credit for it because I did the artwork but it's like believe me I didn't do all this it's like I did I did this part of it, but these other guys did this other part, you know, so.
0: You've been involved in so many.
1: Yeah. And no, I, you know, I never actually added them up. It's like, uh, I mean, between Ring, between the, like Troy's and the Ring Brothers and like, I, I, I there's one thing we never talked about was Posey's. Uh I did a lot of stuff for Posey back in the day and uh, I would just fly out there on the weekends and do stuff. And it's like, you talk about a character, you know, Ken Fennigle, Posey is just, heck, yeah. uh just a he's just a great guy and definitely has his opinion about uh what he wants but me and him always got along really well so uh one of the you know he's definitely got his his cars whether you like them or not are are very it's it's very much his ideas uh, exactly to a t you know so it was always fun you know
0: awesome man well thank you man I hope that you go have an evening to yourself so you can get up in the morning and look at some cool cars yeah well
1: it was These- nice talking to you guys. Pleasure. Thank you too, Bob. Thanks yeah. again, Pleasure. sir. We'll talk to you later. Okay, thanks. Have a great night. Yep.
0: Yeah. Man, w- when you talk about having a guy who's done everything, and like I said at the beginning of the episode, a renaissance man. Yeah.
3: Right yeah, there. Not, almost kind of a, the Forrest Gump of hot rodding. Yeah.
0: We've had a lot of Forrest. We've had many. Yeah. What is, <clears throat> I guess the plural would be gumps. We've had many
2: gumps. Yes. Many gumps. Yeah, this guy is definitely multi, multi-faceted, multi-talented. Right. I mean, he covers a lot of area.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, and dude, if if you're listening out there, please send your get-well cards to Brad at uh, yeah round6pod.com. <laughs> dude, you muscled through, man.
2: <laughs> oh man, I'm dying. As
0: testimony to how much Brad loves his fans, he's here. What do you, what do you have? You have you have a
2: 136 degree fever. You're human torch. I yeah. got yeah. yeah. tuberculosis. My left foot fell off. But hey, I'm I'm <laughs> tuberculosis. here, man. It's all good. I got typhus. i Got typhus. typhus. Yeah, I got that too. Elephantitis. Yep.
0: Man. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Hurts to
2: say. And not the good kind.
0: <laughs> I have elephantitis of the lower intestine. <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. Shouldn't have had the beans. <laughs> That means, but no, man, it was it was really cool to have Bob on. And there's a dude. If if you're not familiar with Bob's work, the moment you start to look up any cars, man, especially to come out of Rad Rides uh and the Rings, uh, like the re- the really heavy hitting stuff to put everybody on the map, chances are Bob's name or hand yeah. are somehow attached to it, and maybe Brad's foot that fell yeah. off. Yeah, could be that. Maybe somebody bids on one of those cars at an auction. You get Brad's foot. Hang that from your rear view mirror. That'll be great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, big thanks to him for uh, taking some time out talking to us like that and uh, shared, shared quite a bit of insight. I mean, once again, one of the things we're really fortunate to bring you guys are our guests who kind of share their path through the industry And there's a lot to learn there, man. I mean, just even from, you know, obviously being in the right place at the right time, big deal for that guy. But uh, it's kind of funny, too, to trace how a certain look for hot rods over the years can all be traced back to, like, one or two people. Mm -hmm. It's really funny, man. Right. And wow, man! I, I it, this is going to be one of those episodes where, uh, hey, Scott, if you're listening to this one, that's mm. uh, a good thing you don't have a cage in your car because, man, you would never fit that head in here. <laughs> 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 dude, with all due respect, man, it, it's funny to it's funny to look back and see how you can trace certain things in this industry back to one dude. And that that's that's a really cool deal,
2: man. Yeah, a guy that paints cars without without his shirt on. Yeah, there you go, that guy.
0: Right. Hey, well, you know,
2: I, I wonder if he's still picking
0: some, uh, you know, <laughs> some of that paint <laughs> out of his back hair. I never knew John
3: Oates was a painter. <laughs> <laughs> so I never knew the, the airbrush, John Oates. Huh? Daryl
2: was singing, John was painting. Wow. Does he, does he play the tambourine while he's painting, or is it just a, uh, or does he just, just snap shakes, his fingers? Shakes
3: the gun, puts a, okay. puts a. With a ball bearing in the cup, and shakes go. the gun.
2: He just shakes the gun. Okay,
0: I think sense. you're confusing um, John Oates with uh, Garfunkel.
2: What was no, no. First he's, name? He's no, he's snapping his finger. He's doing the he's, he's famous oh, for the yeah. finger snap one song. So,
0: singing Man Eater.
2: Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> That's one for you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> huh. well thanks guys uh, uh, let's let Brad go to bed um, um, and I hope that you try to fall asleep and all you can think of is the song "Man-Eater." that's going to yeah. be fantastic I won't sing it for you watch but, out um, here she comes yeah, watch out boy she'll chew want... you up <laughs> who, who the hell writes that
2: she will find my left foot. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Okie okay,
0: doke. Well, uh, big thanks again. Uh, once again, our, our continuing sponsor, our good friends over at trailer tug, uh, give them a visit at Trailertug.com and learn more about the world's strongest trailer dolly. Yeah. And, uh, listeners to the podcast, you just for being you, You get a 10% discount at checkout or when phoning your order in by using the special code ROUND6. So, good on you, see? And you thought listening to this was just a total waste. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And for those of you uh, who have taken part in our, you know, beg for round six stickers promotion, (laughs) those will be on the way. (laughs) What will you do for a round six sticker? We should have that. Yeah, what would you do? within certain do we
2: meetabons? really want to do that no, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm thinking yes i set actually. myself on fire Hey, because our group is a whole lot crazier than that other group from the you know from the actual tv commercial so yeah this yeah. is true we don't we don't want to say send nudes to brad no 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 don't don't we're not doing that
0: <laughs> the fuller frontal the better yeah <laughs> yeah i don't want to
2: get those emails
0: better yet okay wait uh in, in the podcast, um, Bob had talked about uh, the, the idea of, uh, one of Harry Bradley's ideas, where when you design a car, make it look like a wedding dress. Here's a better one: First five people to send a photo to Brad of themselves wearing a halter top <laughs> and a mini skirt. <laughs> wow.
3: Six free stickers which, for which you. Sticker,
0: which, which stickers would they get? Oh, that—that's up to us. We'll choose those. Yeah. I think we—I think it's time to make another batch of stickers. We're gonna have to, and you're gonna be—you're gonna be inundated with all kinds of pictures of dudes from the Midwest working on the cars.
2: I. <laughs> I sure hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's thank one you. of Scott wearing that. Thank you, Brian, for uh, you know being the kind of friend you are. I gotta—I gotta thank you for that.
0: I want you to be well entertained while you recuperate.
2: And Alex, oh. thank you for you know backing me
0: up on that one. I gotta thank you for that too. Oh, anytime. What is our credo here in the group? Gang up on the one who's weakest.
2: That's, <laughs> That's right. right.
0: <laughs> eat,
2: eat the weak. That's pretty much how it works.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're right back to Maneater. That would be Brad Eater. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> and watch this one go right down the tube. Oh, we said we were gonna let you go to bed. Oh, All water. right. Well, this episode obviously not brought to you by Robitussin. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But uh, send your thoughts, prayers, and get well messages to Brad over on our uh, our Facebook page. And um, yeah, uh, at, at the end of this episode, uh, I I have got to say I am a slightly more sparkly Brian. Hmm.
3: Oh.
2: oh. I am an absolutely covered in masking tape, Brad.
3: And I am a thrashed Alex, but a good kind of a thrash. Wow. Oh. That was almost too easy, man. I thought you guys were going to swipe my idea, so I'm like, oh, here we go again. Good job. But yeah, I yeah,
0: yeah right. right. At least you didn't say you were a man-eating Alex. Well, Yeah. <laughs> 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 whole different podcast on that one. That's we do that right. one on that's Wednesdays. after hours. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. We totally, I can't say how much we appreciate you guys. And uh, I've been growing quite a bit lately, and that's because of you. Thanks yeah. for spreading the word, and um, thank you so much. Truly.
2: Yes, thank you.
0: Without you guys, it would just be us listening to ourselves. And that's its really sad when you get down to it, and we're not even going to go there right now.
2: I'm going to go cry now. <laughs>
0: okay. Wait, well, hey, you go cry. I'm going to go be sparkly. Uh, <laughs> you go be thrashed. And we'll
2: um, <laughs>
0: catch you guys next time.
2: Mm-hmm. Again. See ya.
0: Thanks again for listening. And be sure to keep up with us, Gearheads, over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, We invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com. Big thanks once again to our sponsor, Trailer Tug. Please visit them at TrailerTug.com and learn more about the world's strongest trailer dolly. Our listeners receive 10% off their order when they use the discount code ROUND6 at checkout or when calling their order in.